Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico. I've got a great show for you tonight. Uh, here in just a few moments, I'm going to bring on two great ladies, uh, uh, Nicole Weller and Dr. Patricia Donnelly, who is going to be joining me here in just literally a, a minute or two. But uh, I want to remind everybody, of course, we are live every Thursday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. Uh, that's 7 to 9 for those of you on the East Coast and 4 to 6 for those uh, under Pacific time. So thank you for joining us live here on blogtalkradio.com's Golf Talk Live. Always enjoy uh, having the, the, the listeners and some great guests on uh, to talk about uh, what else but golf. And we've got some very interesting topic uh, that we're going to talk about here in the Coach's Corner uh, panel starting us off here in just a few moments. And then a little bit later on, I'm going to spend the evening with the Millers. That's Alan and Cindy Miller. Alan, of course, is a PGA uh, Life uh, member. And uh, Cindy Miller, of course, is an LPJ professional and also uh, a Legends Tour player. And you may recall back on uh, a few years back on Big Break 3, uh, she was uh, a contestant on that. And that's really where she uh, became most uh, noted in, in, uh, in current times. But uh, great uh, teacher professional as well as a player. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, just some interesting things that uh, have really happened in the industry and what they're doing to make some changes of their own to uh, propel this game and uh, also I want to remind everybody too that uh, if you want to call in anytime during the live broadcast you're welcome to do so and speak with either myself or the guests you can do so by uh, calling area code 646-716-4667 you can also email any questions or comments to me personally at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com and if you're interested in coming on the show uh, as a guest if you're in the golf industry whether you're a teacher professional uh, maybe an entrepreneur or maybe you special in, uh, specialize in the mental side of uh, golf uh, and you'd like to come on the show, you can also email me at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com and I'll be more than happy to get you into the mix. Um, also, follow me on Facebook uh, personally, but also uh, the uh, page as well is uh, facebook.com forward slash golftalklive blog. Make sure you have blog on the end there. And when you're there, if you haven't done so already, I would appreciate it if you'd uh, throw a like or two on the page. And you can also follow me on Twitter at Ted and Buck CEO, and that's CEO in capitals letters. Uh, as I mentioned, um, I've got two great ladies coming on here in just a moment. Uh, Nicole Weller, who's been on the show a number of times before, and uh, she's, a, a, as far as I'm concerned, a class act. She's uh, the head teach professional at the Landings Club in Savannah, Georgia, and is responsible for all the golf education programs at the club. She's also a Class A member of the PGA of America and uh, LPGA uh, teaching and club professional, as well as a member of the proponent group. Uh, she is SNAG, TPI, and U.S. Kids Golf Certified, and is a staff ambassador for the Littlest Golfer. Uh, you've heard her mention that on the show before, as well as serving on the 2013 and 2014 PGA National Youth Player Development Committee under Chair Alan uh, Ronowski. 
Uh, also joining her this evening is Dr. Patricia Donnelly, PhD. Uh, Dr. Donnelly is a sports uh, psychotherapist specializing in performance enhancement uh, for golfers and really all types of athletes. Uh, her expertise has been touted in the United States as well as abroad. Uh, she works uh, with both elite and recreational athletes to improve their performance through such techniques as simulating the zone, creating sense of flow, goal setting, relaxation, uh, positive self-talk, uh, thought stoppage, and enhanced uh, concentration. So they're going to come on and we're going to talk about junior golfers under the Coach's Corner panel uh, discussion tonight. So ladies, uh, welcome to Golf Talk Live. Thank you so much for having us. All right. Um, let's start things off first. Uh, and we talked a little bit off air before we went live. And uh, But I, I just thought it would be kind of interesting. So uh, either one, whichever one wants to, to start it off, um, just sort of briefly uh, talk about how the two of you met and, and how you sort of came together um, for what we're going to talk about tonight. Sure. Shall I start off, Nicole? Go for it, Patricia. Okay. Yes, uh, Ted, it was... Two years ago that Nicole and I met face-to-face at the PGA show in Orlando. Prior to that, we had known each other on email. We had discussed various topics um, concerning junior golf, going, you know, from time to time, Nicole had a question. Uh, She was out in the fields with kids, with parents, and she knew that, I was more in the research side of things, studying how best to teach, how best to learn golf. So we'd go back and forth on different things that came up from time to time. I had started writing papers and doing presentations on how to teach golf developmentally. And by that I mean what to teach and how to eat, how to teach at different ages. I started this all the way back in 1998 at the World Scientific Congress of Golf in St. Andrews, Scotland. And my presentations and articles were always very well received. People would tell me, that's such a great idea. You're exactly right. This is what we needed to do. And, you know, over a decade later, I was like, well, you know, everybody keeps telling me this, but nothing's happening. Right. And I thought, well, okay, you know, I've got to go the next step. I've put together a program. I mean, golf professionals are, are very, very busy people. They, there's one season and then the next. And, you know, here's this idea of how to teach to very young children, and, you know, here's the theory, and here's what these great psychologists did, and here are these techniques. But then, you know, what do you do? So I thought I need a really great golf professional who's totally in sync with what's happening with junior golf, somebody who completely gets it. So, of course, I thought of Nicole. And as I said, we met in 2014 at the PGA show face-to-face, I presented the idea to her. I said, why don't we put our fields of expertise together and come up with a program? We got really excited about it, talking, and as I like to say, then the synergy happened. So two (laughs) years later, this past January at the PGA show, we launched Little Golf Train. Perfect. 
And, and we're going to talk about um, how it was received at the PGA show. I know there was a lot of uh, very positive feedback that came through. Um, Nicole, I, I want you to pick it up a little bit from, from where Patricia sort of left off uh, in the sense that, you know, she, she references you. And, and I, as I said to you off air, I mean, I hear a lot of feedback from a lot of the people that I interview on the program and guests and, and so forth, panelists um, that you know, do have their own sort of junior programs out there. And your name has come up many, many times in conversations as somebody that really, um, really gets it, as, as Patricia just mentioned. Um, you've been working with a program called Little Golfer uh, for quite some time and very successfully. Um, when Patricia first approached you with the Little Golf Train, you sort of you know, garnered the idea of, of what was going on. Um, did sort of a, a bell go off in your head and say, yeah, I can see this is going to be something that I want to sort of, you know, jump on board. Literally jump on board. I like the little pun there. That was nice, Ted, uh, for a little golf train. Thank you. But um, actually, yes, and I've got to give a shout out to Kate Tempesta, who, um, you know, right. helped me to connect to Patricia. Um, so Kate um, just does wonderful things in this field. Um, so we're very grateful to her for the connection. But um you know, seeing the potential for the program to grow um, in in this way was was, was huge. So, um, you know, as I speak at presentations around the country, a lot of people are interested in doing it but not knowing how to work with this age group. And, you know, the ideas that are starting to come up, they were interested in trying it at their facility. So I've been very blessed to be with the littlest golfer. Chris and Carrie Wilson are just tremendous. Um, I love right. the clubs that they have out, uh, their concept. Uh, they have such a good heart. And I've been using their clubs for a while, and I'm like, you know, it would be, be great to add um, – this into the program because they're, they're lightweight and they're easy to use. And there were just a lot of components that seemed to fit um, with the program. So I'm always trying my best to learn and I learn a lot from others and love sharing ideas as I can. And this is what Patricia and I came up with was kind of our version of how to help the industry. There are, you know, different ways of doing it. And this is just what we wanted to offer. And we're very grateful that uh, Littlest Golfers partnered up with us to help out with the, the kit portion. So, you know, as we Perfect. get into the, the conversation, it, it'd be something to chat about. But um, I, it, it's just been really nice to have people like Chris and Carrie and a uh, company like Lewis Golfer to help um, with, with the industry. And, and uh, I'm just very honored. Yeah, well said, by the way, um, both of you. Um, and, and, yeah, I want to give a shout-out to Kate Tempesta as well. She's been on the show a number of times. She's doing a phenomenal uh, job herself up in, in in the New York area with um, with helping the development of, of golf and and some of the youngsters up there. So yeah, you're right. She's a she's a great lady and and certainly uh, offers a, a plethora of, of information in her own right. Um, so let's let, let's find out. Or let's explain exactly for those that that are tuning in here, maybe not familiar with, with what the little golf train is. Explain what it is and and what is sort of encompassed in in that uh, product name. Sure. Patricia, why don't you take it? Why don't you start with that? Okay. Um, maybe we could go back and forth on our letters. Uh, sure. Okay. <laughs> so, Little Golf Train, the train is a number of things. One thing is, it too is, is a pun. It's a noun. It's a, a cute little train where we have our animals that are a big part of the program. The images are in a train. And, of course, it's train as in a, a verb. Mm -hmm. But it's also an acronym. And each letter stands for a seminal part of the program. So I'll start with T. 
and T stands for teaching through play. Hmm. And this is such an important part of the program. So we're talking now about children between the ages of two and five. And as we all know, there is a big difference between a two-year-old and a five-year-old. And as such, we really have two separate curricula. One is for the two- and three-year-olds, and one is for the four- and five. But they are both based on learning through play. And I accentuate that. So it's not just learning and play, but it's learning through play. At that age, that's where the learning happens. Right. I think we, we often forget, well, of course, our brains change and we grow up, and I think many adults, many parents, think we're doing children a favor by giving them a lot of academic things early on. Uh, There's a a tendency right now of many parents in preschools, you know, sort of demanding that it become more academic. Right. And it's it's very difficult for for teachers who have studied how children learn because the, the learning happens. The learning happens through play, through dealing with, with real materials, you know, with sand, with with water, with, with holding a golf club, with Play-Doh or whatever. So that's essential to our program. So there's lots of play going on. And, Nicole, I'll let you then take it with the R. You, you got it. I'll kind of go through R&A and, um, and let you wrap up there. And, and, Ted, just, you know, for people who don't know Little Golf Train, the overall concept is that it's a certification program for um, instructors and coaches who want to learn how to work with ages 2 to 5, um, right. as well as all the curricula that we put together. So there's curricula all set in various days, formats for ages 2 to 3 and 4 to 5, and then there's also some turnkey kits uh, that are provided um, if needed. Um, to, um, you know, help with the equipment. So there's kind of three parts to it. But, you know, as we go through the train, um, uh, Patricia mentioned teaching through play. The R stands for research-based, and um, that's what I love about the program is that um, it is all based on science and, you know, all Mm -hmm. the academia that um, Patricia puts in. So what we're working with is, you know, how to best work with a two to three, uh, a four to five, the differences, and all based on science. So that was important to have that that theory behind what we're doing. Um, uh, the A stands for age appropriate. So like we mentioned, there are programs that are different for two to three and four to five. So right. lumping a five-year-old into a six to 12-year-old program, you know, has some drawbacks. So we wanted to create something special for that age group. So our, our curricula is different. So a two-year-old and a five-year-old are going to have uh, different kind of activities based on where they are with their development. So having it age-appropriate was was pretty important and separating it out that way. Wow. Um, and and Patricia, the, um, what do the last two uh, I and N stand for? And what what do they represent? So so the I and the N. Books will start with the I. The I I think really sets us apart, as does I think being research-based. Um, and age-appropriate, but the I stands for intrinsic reward. And what that means, simply, is to do something, and the reward is that you love it. You love doing it. So the reward comes from a feeling inside of you. And I think we all know things that we really love, 
we do because we love them, and that's our reward. This is different from many programs that have extrinsic rewards. So things like trophies or badges right. or tokens or or whatever would be an extrinsic reward. Actually, there are, there are lots of studies, but one I read recently, I, I get really excited about research studies, but they <laughs> had these very young children. They were three years old, and they were testing with intrinsic and extrinsic rewards. And these children figured out that when they were offered an extrinsic reward for doing it was a, a drawing activity, mm-hmm. they figured out that that activity mustn't be very worthwhile. They realized that they were being bribed, and they figured right. they were being bribed because there was no inherent worth in the activity. And that's pretty incredible that these little babies really could figure that out. And there, there's a name for this. It's called the over-justification phenomenon. So what we want to be very careful of, because these are very young children, and we want to introduce them to golf, hopefully for a lifetime, and have to be really careful about keeping them excited about it and not turning them off from it. So that intrinsic part when, when they're very young is important. The N stands for nutrition. And there's a strong nutrition component to the program. And it's certainly about the eating. It's certainly looking at the very frightening statistics, uh, obesity, you know, one in three children now is obese on the juvenile diabetes. But, you know, I could go on and on. And so right. many of these things that are diet-related. We're very careful about that, not just to, so there's always a, a snack component in in the program, um, not just to have healthy food, but to explain why food is healthy. But even more than that, Ted, what we do, so we're trying to teach children um, intrapersonal skills, things they learn inside themselves, and interpersonal skills. And the food time is very much a time to socialize. And I think so many, so many of us, so many parents are really very upset about this because in our society we've just lost this. We're all too busy. The whole notion of sitting down and spending time together at mealtime is is sort of a thing of the past, and we all wish we had that. So we try to, we put that into the program and make this whole idea of food and coming together, one where you socialize. We're very careful not to do things like reward with food. Um, Try to teach young children about when they are full, you know, what does full feel like, and, you know, when to stop eating, Um, not to push food on children, but to make sure it's healthy. So that's a big big part of of the program. That's the end. Hmm. You know, it, it's interesting because you, you mentioned, Patricia, you know, a few moments ago about the, the sort of the academic side of things, uh, or, or sorry, I think that was Nicole. Um, and, and you're right that a lot of the teaching nowadays seems to be funneling towards the, the academia. And the problem with that is, you know, kids are losing the ability to really understand it and be able to play and just, you know, have some fun. 
and it's all you know study and it's all very intense. And if you look at most of the kids, I think this is why a lot of them are detracting away and sort of losing themselves in social media because they're not doing anything that's having fun anymore. It's just you know constant. So I, I like the approach that the two of you have taken with this program, and and the fact that obviously that you've added um, golf being the, the main component to it to. Uh, get them involved at an early age, but I like that the the way that you've sort of wrapped this up and are, are approaching things, you know, of learning, if you will, from a different approach than than what has been traditional for for many decades now. Well, that's, thank you. That's great to hear that affirmation, Ted. And you know, certainly we agree. And you know, some people have even said to us that they they kind of look at the program and what we're doing with it almost as an antidote for all right. these difficult things. Uh, with being a child, with, you know, not having time, not having often a place to play, to run around, um, you know, due to safety issues or whatever. But to have time, genuine time with other people, um, mm-hmm. there are no no screens. And in fact, right. a lot of people are often surprised with the American Academy of Pediatrics, and we follow their standards quite strictly in terms of safety and guidelines, they recommend ages 0 to 2 should be no screen time at all. Ages 2 to 5, one hour maximum per day. And that includes just if a a TV or or somebody's um, phone is kind of in the corner of their eye, that counts. Right. So, yeah, you're you're right. um, we're, We're doing something very different from that. And, Ted, well, I think, you know, seeing it from the golf perspective, too, you know, I see, you know, kids have lost a lot of the imaginative, you know, it's like, all right, yeah. once, you, once you go and play and make a game and they look at you like, well, what am I supposed to do? And it's, it's, it's right. like the time that, you know, they, they don't have the ability as much to just spontaneously create. So it's really nice to be able to see them do those things or give them, you know, uh, different equipment and see what they come up with. But, um, you know, even watching parents or you know, adults working with the youngsters on the range, I think, um, you know, sometimes they've forgotten how it's, you know, it's, it's from kid style that they're learning. So we're looking at the children from adult rational brains, and they're looking at it from the kid play and, you know, telling a three-year-old to stay focused and, uh, yeah. you know, keep their eye on the ball or to keep the arm straight or this and that. They're not, they're not quite into that ability yet. So that was one of the reasons I wrote my book was to, you know, of course, do some rhymes and some fun things, but, uh, you know, it's really important to, to do this kid style. And what, what is it? What's fun for a kid might not be fun for an adult. And, you know, right. attention spans are so different. So it's just, you know, hopefully reminding people about what, what would be fun for kids, lots of color, lots of, you know, sometimes messy and not so structured. And so I, I learn a lot as I go through with the kids, you know, what I think is fun or organized, it, uh, it gets mm-hmm. turned the other way. So it, it's pretty yeah. cool as a pro to learn that. Well, I can attest, uh, you know, being a little bit older, that it's it's certainly not as much fun as an adult as it was when I was a kid. So I can agree with that wholeheartedly. You know, the other thing, too, ladies, that that I find with, and, and I don't want to get into too much on this end of it because I, you know, there's other things we need. We I want to make sure we cover, but, um, you know, I, I see it even in in a, some of the adults that I teach now. I mean, I do a lot of corporate training and stuff, but. Um, you know, they want these sort of quick fixes and they're not really enjoying the process. It's all about, well, how do you, can I fix this? And can you do that? Right. And they want it, you know, they want it. And it's almost like instant gratification. And, right. you know, there, there's no sort of learning 
as you go and, and develop as you go sort of um, principles. It's all, okay, I want it now and, and I want to be able to, you know, play in my, my event next week and, and have this magic formula. It just doesn't exist. And I think, you know, when I was growing up, you didn't have that. Now, for some reason, just because the way society has gone, they've, and, and it's unfortunately, it's filtered into much of the golf industry. And, um, you know, this is something that they're, they're trying to unravel now. Um, technology is certainly great, but there's, there's a sort of a, a happy marriage, if you will, of technology and then, you know, core fundamentals in that. Um, I, I mentioned earlier about the, the PJ merchandising show as well. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, Patricia, if you want to start off, um, you launched this, this year, 2016 PJ merchandising show in Orlando. Uh, what was some of the response and feedback that, that, uh, you guys got? Well, we started um, a few days before the show at the Youth and Family Summit that the PGO had, and Nicole and I did a presentation there. So that was terrific. We we got to meet and get feedback from a lot of the golf professionals that were there really from all over the world, um, and it, it was great. Um, people were excited about it. Uh, wanted to know more, and we had time to, you know, sit down, speak to them, learn what they were doing in their programs, which which is always exciting to see what's going on out there in different places and different countries. Uh, and then the show started, and again, the littlest golfer, we have to thank, they were very mm-hmm. kind and let us have a space in their booth. So we had time to speak to the people on the floor. Um, We also had a media conference and had a lot of media people show up. Wow. And had a really good give and take. It's always interesting to to get the questions and and see, you know, what what people are asking about. And, yeah, overall, it was was just terrific. Fantastic. Good feedback. You know, and... and Nicole, I want you to talk a little bit about because you, you you guys have mentioned that there's a certification program. From an instructor standpoint, um, you know, you you can't teach everybody the same way, regardless of age. But particularly with the youngsters at the age level that you're dealing with here, um, you have to be very careful. And I, I would assume in the selection process, because again, everybody teaches different teaching styles, things like that. There's a specific way that you need to address. Um, the things that you need to address in in your program. So, what are what are some of the things that you're looking for in instructors or coaches? Um, and give us a little bit of background on the certification program. What's involved? Sure. Um, gosh, I there's so many things I could say. So I'll streamline it. But um, <laughs> you know, there there are already coaches out there who are working with youngsters, and we're seeing them start to come through the program. They're comfortable with the age group, and they're learning a little bit more. And We're hoping that, of course, there are people that, you know, really want to get this into the program, and they don't know how to do that. They may not be as comfortable with the age group. So, you know, if it's not them that's going to be comfortable, maybe somebody at the facility that they can help have aboard the team to do this. So it's not for everyone, but hopefully in the facility there's somebody who can can help out. And, you know, the, the process of learning, I learned a lot going through what Patricia put on there for our certification. So me as a golf professional, I've done a lot of, uh, learning as I go, and the research part behind this was so cool. So, uh, great job, Patricia. And I know you're always 
looking to update, and we're going to add some modules as we go. But there's four main um, parts that, that we're um, teaching people about, and then they have to go through the questions. The online certification is reading right now. We may add some video in the future as we grow. But um, mm-hmm. you read, you take some questions, and it's, it's multiple choice. So you can't go to the next one until you get it right. It's just a fun okay. way to learn. So, mm-hmm. And then at the end, of course, there's the big test. So you're going through interactive quizzes through the four parts um, that we discussed. So I learned a lot about, um, you know, the theory behind it, how to deal with behavior. That's always interesting to me, just um, yeah. <laughs> you know, how, how to help a child kind of go through what they're going through in, in, in the most effective way to also run a class. How do you manage a class when you have eight children and, and seven of them are hanging in there pretty well and one, you know, needs more attention. So those are kind of the questions as a golf pro that I was very interested in from Patricia. So she has a lot of great ideas in the curricula. We talk about the nutrition. Um, you know, we added a little bit of the golf module in, um, and we're going to be adding more in. So um, so the certification is a, a golf professional or a coach, somebody interested would, would sign up online. Um, mm-hmm. the, the cost is six ninety five, but right now the first 50 people who sign up, um, there's a code we offer for 300 off. So it's half off right okay. now. And uh, then they would uh, actually go through and, um, a background check. So once we get a clearance from a person through the company that we're using, um, then they have the access to the online curricula. Uh, they can take that at their own leisure. So, you know, we recommend within, you know, probably four to six weeks. Um, some people do it a lot quicker. And then right. from there, once they're certified and, they, and everything is good to go, then they have access to the curricula. Uh, uh, they can use that any way they'd like. We offer it in... Um, a one, a three, a five, and a 12-day format, and it can be adapted if it's a four-day school or six, that's cool. But everything is spelled out. We've spent hundreds of hours on the curricula and modifying it, and it's it's written down to, you know, here's the equipment you need for this day. Here's a picture of it. Here's how you speak it. Um, so, of course, if you have your own way of saying it, cool. But, you know, we, we tie everything in with our character themes. So the, the golf swing is going to be looking like an elephant's trunk. So it swings back right. and forth. And as we get all, you know, into the older group, we do one, two, show your shoe as a fun, you know, a fun little addendum. Right. But, um, but uh, you know, we, we um, do a little bit with Tempo Tiger in putting and short game, the tick-tock swing the clock, and his, t- his tail is kind of the metronome. So we tie in a lot of fun images there. So, But basically, you know, you sign up, go through the background check, um, go through the online certification, very cool, and then, you get your kits. We have a banner for you. There's a lot of cool things you get, and it's listed on the website what the benefits are. So, and, and as we grow and add modules and, you know, uh, work with our recertifications, then um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll grow and learn as we go. Um, fantastic. I, I, you know, just listening to you, Nicole, I, I can think of a, a, quite a number of adults that could probably use a program like this to learn their golf mm-hmm. swing. You know, it, 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 the, I, I guess the reason why – you know, when you look through a child's eyes, it is so much, life is so much simpler. And I think, and I'm, I'm sort of, I guess, paraphrasing here, but, you know, as, as a, a golf professional, I think one of the problems that we see, uh, as, as I was mentioning earlier, as, as adults um, that are trying to learn and pick up the game, is they, they overcomplicate things, where kids will, will really sometimes take the most simple route. Um, they're, they're like sponges, they'll learn very quickly, you know, you'll show them something, you'll explain something, and they seem to gravitate. But as we get older, um, we tend to throw in a few other, you know, everything but the kitchen sink when we try to learn sometimes. Right. And, I, and I think what ultimately ends up happening is 
you know, a lot of golfers make it more difficult. So I like the fact that you're getting them really at a grassroots level. I mean, you're getting them virtually almost out of diapers and, and getting them exposed to a sport really that I think teaches a lot of very valuable life lessons. So I like that the concept of the little, um, the, the little golf train that you, that you two have put together. And I like the format and I like the fact that you're making it available. Now, one of the things that I wanted to ask, and, I, and I've asked you this, I think before Nicole with, with respect to um, littlest golfer, you've got the parent component. Um, obviously you're dealing with some very young uh, toddlers. How do you prevent, or are the parents involved through some of this program at all? Uh, what role do they play, if any, or do you try to keep them, you know, distance so that you can do what you need to do um, to, to be effective? What, what sort of role, if any, do they play or, or don't they? Well, I think that's a great question. And, um, you know, the, the facilities will be running the programs based on what works for them. What I find through what we've done at the Landings Club um, with ages two to three, I highly recommend having one parent or grandparent there per child. So they are part of the learning, and I think that's really important. I know U.S. Kids likes to do that as well. Um, um, I love their concept, you know, having the parents involved so they can understand what's going on as well. So I like to have one parent there per child, and they help out. So um, that way I may have, you know, eight two- to three-year-olds and eight parents there, and they're hearing the terminology, and I'm reminding them that, you know, we're just using TikTok swing the clock or, you know, here's right. here's what we're working on with the grip, like our summies point to the graph. But honestly, I have some right now that just want to do it one-handed and they use the back <laughs> of the club or they push the ball into the hole or they pick it up right. and they squat down to the hole. And just reminding the parents that they're, they're two and three and I, I want them to be able to self-discover. And you mentioned this earlier about, you know, people forgetting how to, they want it, they want to fix right now. And the self-discovery part has kind of gone out the window. So I think it's yeah. important for them to self-discover. And as I, you know, as I get more into this myself and learn that the structure's not, doesn't have to be two hands on the club all the time. It can be fun. So with the four- to five-year-olds, I like to do a five-to-one student-teacher ratio and have at least one parent there as a volunteer coach, so assistant coach. Mm-hmm. And so they're helping with the safety and they're helping with the cheering and the, um, you know, the reminders. So, um, you know, we'll sometimes have an area for parents to watch um, and to fill them in. I like to do emails at the end of each week just telling the parents what we're doing. So keeping them in the loop I think is important, and I know some other pros who like to do that as well. So um, I think that's, that's a big thing. Um, you know, as, as Nicole points out, I, I just wanted to say you know, the, sure. the program really is designed for the parents to learn also. So with the very young children, you know, they're going to be with the children a lot more than the golf professional is. So it's right. good for them to be around this and to hear this and to hopefully replicate what's right. happening in the program. And and it, it's true that you know this whole notion of of how a child being a child is so able to just be in the moment, you mm-hmm. know, to not worry about the outcome. And as as you were saying before, Ted, as we get older, we become so outcome oriented, right. yeah. and it's very hard to let go of that. And and that's something very new for a lot of people that that go through this program. Um, and, you know, as Nicole said, you know, she's so great about recognizing, you know, the use of a child's imagination and their self-discovery. That's, that's so important. And to praise, to praise the process, not the outcome. 
So when a child's making that swing, just like eager elephants, that's great. And if they hit the ball or they don't, that's beside the point. And right. that's a very different way of of responding and thinking. Uh, well, so that, well that's said. A challenge, not just for the parents, but for, for teachers too. I mean, you know, you work with people, and everybody, you know, as you say, these adults. Right. It's all about the outcome; it's the result. Right. And <laughs> that actually doesn't help at all. You know, if we could all, like you said earlier, get back into the mind of a child, we'd be we'd be a lot better off in our golf game. You know, one of the one of the things that, ladies, that really appeals to me about what you're doing is up and really until I would say maybe the last decade, one of the things that that kind of turned me off a little bit about junior golf was that um, it, it was all sort of a funnel or feeding into the tour life, if you want. I don't necessarily mean PGA, but it was all about uh, competitive golf. If you look at most of the junior programs, uh, whether it be around the U.S. or, or even abroad. Um, you know, it's all about let's you know let's get my kid into this program, mm-hmm. and I know that I know that you've seen it, Nicole. Particularly, I know you've I'm sure have seen it out there where you know these kids that are three, four, five years old, there's they're regimented to the point because they want you know their parents want them to be the next you know whoever it happens to be, and these poor kids are really not even enjoying it and become very robotic in in their their approach to the game, and I think that you see certainly some will gravitate on and and whether they make it on the tour life or not is, is not really the issue. Um, they'll have some sort of enjoyment, but there's a lot of them that actually get out of playing golf as they get older, because it's just, it's structured so much. It becomes too hard. And I think what I like about the little golf train is that you're taking them at their simplest time in their life, allowing them to have fun and associate fun with golf. And then at some uh-huh. point later on, as they've developed a general understanding because you're not trying you're not trying to you know develop the next uh, PGA or LPJ player you're you're really just trying to expose them to the game and ultimately exactly. what's going to happen right and ultimately what's going to happen from here is those that maybe say hey I would like to take this to another step will have that opportunity they've had a, you know the exposure that you've given them but they're not going to feel pressured the same way and this is why I asked about the parents because we all know this. We've seen them a thousand times. Um, you know, you go to any of the, some of the top schools, even in Florida, and, you know, you see the, these youngsters, and, and I'm talking even teenage uh, kids as well, that are just, you know, up at the crack of dawn, and they're not going to bed until, you know, late in the hours, and they're just constantly bombarded with, with golf and accurate, and it gets to a point where they're just not having fun. Well, that's totally outcome-based, too, you know, and it's, right. I mean... W- why would a parent put a, a child in a Montessori school, you know, because of the, all the wonderful things that they're going to be learning and how they're learning it. So it's almost right. like this, this program is, um, it's, it's, it's like that kind of a program, but it's, it's being done through golf. So it's definitely not outcome based. And, you know, just, right. just when we see a child who's three or four and they could, they have great hand eye skill at that age and, you know, the parents' eyes light up and you can see them thinking scholarship or, or whatnot. Right. And I'm like, well, it's great that he can do this. This is just one component <clears throat> of what we're working towards, you know. So let's, let's see how, you know, how he can express himself in, our, in what we're doing with art or Play-Doh or, you know, right. because some of them get really stuck and that's all they want to do is then their parents are, you know, they might be proud that their child can hit, you know, a whole basket of balls in an hour and that's all they want to do and that's, that's it's nice to have that attention, but we're still looking to help them 
you know, remind them that there's other things that they can developmentally explore and there are other right. things they need to developmentally explore to be healthy at that age uh, all around, like holistically. <clears throat> right. I, I agree wholeheartedly. And, and I guess my point is this, ladies, is, uh, you know, it, it's wonderful if, um, you know, one out of a thousand of, of the kids that go through this program uh, or even one out of a hundred has aspirations of, of playing golf on a competitive level. But ultimately, I think in order to truly grow this this game, I mean, we, you know, Nicole and, and Patricia, I know that you both heard this expression, you know, how do we grow the game? Um, but the focus seems to be how do we grow the game into a competitive? But I think that the golf industry should be looking and expanding it and saying, how can we bring more people into um, the enjoyment of golf, not just necessarily on a competitive, but just to go out and have fun, whether it be with friends or family or, um, you know, a spouse or whatever, um, and not just always about competitive. I mean, we want that as well, but you also have to have just people. And I think if they did it from, from that approach a little bit more and not just having all of these different programs that are sort of a funnel into competitive golf, I think more and more, because not everybody's going to have the skill set to be able to make it, uh, whether it be on tour or even at collegiate level. So right away, you, you've sort of, again, that outcome mentality is, well, I'm never going to be good enough to make Division One. Uh, you know, women's golf team. So why should I even bother? And they just give up. So right. what you're really trying, what you, right? I mean, you know what I'm what I'm talking about, Nicole. And I, and I'm not trying to bash exactly. the the programs. That there's a lot of fantastic programs, but not mm-hmm. everybody that's going to go through your program is necessarily going to want that end result. They just want to go out and and just have fun. And that's what you're trying to do here. At the same time, Correct. you teach them yeah. some skills. And, and yeah, and there's a lot of research on early burnout too. You know, and the kids who right, that right. excel early uh, later, when the other kids catch up and you know they get surpassed, they do they burn out. And you know, there's a lot of other sports out there that are offering this. You know, offering their programs to to very young kids. And golf is just not, you know, traditionally been in that group. I mean, there's some places that still don't allow children on the range until they're six or eight. So they're yeah. going to go to other sports. You know, soccer or skiing, you know, um, ski school. Um, so that's, it's, it's an opportunity to give them an example of what golf is about. It's an introduction. It is not a hardcore training program. It's a, it's a program for, for kids based on kids. Right. Exactly. Um, again, well said, you know, I I just think that the way that I look at it is I, I certainly want to do whatever I can to help grow the game, um, and you know, if somebody has those aspirations of, of going on and playing uh, at a high level, I mean, all, all the power to them, but I just want, you know, people to, to just go out and have fun. And if they play once a week, once a month or five times a week, that's entirely up to them, whatever, you know, whatever motivates them. Um, but if you, if you push something on somebody too much, as you said, uh, you know, they get burned out. And then they just sort of shy away from the game. And, you know, if you're lucky, 20, 30 years later, they might pick it up again. But now they're coming at it from a different, you know, it's a negative experience. They had, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Now they're coming back and and it's much harder to be able to grasp some of the fundamentals because they haven't picked up a golf club in, in, you know, 30 odd years. So, you know. We're hoping through this program that, yes, that children will have this early positive fun association with golf. You're right. Instead of this, you know, you've got to be on the tour, that's why people play golf, to have right. you know, this super success that um, maybe yes, but, but probably not, but golf can be so much more and it can be something fun and 
And we're hoping, yes, that it will expand the game by, you know, tapping into this, this young age group that really hasn't been tapped into before. Yep. And helping them yeah. expand the game and having kids out there just enjoying the game, playing with their families. So right. this, you know, hopefully will we'll have very positive effects on the growth of the industry. Well, what's the definition of success, too, right, Patricia? I mean, like, you know, is it, a, Absolutely. Is, it an adult, is it an adult version of this is what success looks like? So there's right. a lot of different ways to enjoy the game, and I think um, that's important to, you know, what's the child's definition of success, so. Well, and I think the other thing, too, is, you know, as you both pointed out, you know, the family, I mean, the family unit you know, parents, there's so much other things out there to compete for their kids' attention. And, you know, wherever the kids go, the parents are going to follow. So if the kids are involved in, you know, whether it be soccer or football or baseball or some other uh, extracurricular activity, you know, the parents more often than not are going to be involved in that. So the, mm-hmm. the golf industry, Nicole, as you had mentioned too, is has kind of fallen uh, or had fallen behind a little bit or didn't get out of the gate as quickly as other sports or other activities. So this is a great way, again, because if the kids sort of, you know, get a bite at the apple and say, hey, this looks like a lot of fun, and they want to engage, even if it's, uh, again, not, you know, at an overly competitive, but just something that they want to do, you know, here's an opportunity now as a family, when they go on a vacation, if the kids are interested in going, even if it's just to, to go to a, an executive course somewhere or just to a driving range or what have you, now as a family, they can do something, and particularly for mothers out there that, you know, are trying to, you know, find a way to to keep their kids entertained, you know, your program gives them another option, uh, and it can be a very inexpensive option if it's handled correctly. And, you know, some some of the positive feedback we've gotten back is that this is a program that's not exclusively done at golf courses. It can certainly Mm. be done on golf ranges. It can be done at daycare centers. It can be done at preschools. Um, We have people that are getting certified that are at a children's museum. I have somebody interested in this who's at a military base who said that this would just be perfect for, for veterans that come home that are reconnecting with their families to have, you know, a program where they're all together to do something positive together that will hopefully grow into a family activity. So that's been very exciting to sort of see the tentacles and and how this can help in many different areas. Yeah, exactly. I think there's been, and and Nicole, you may uh, agree with me here, I think there really has been a void in, in golf that really has needed to be filled. And I think you, the two of you have really, um, created an opportunity to fill that void. And as I said, there's you know a lot of great junior programs out there. I'm not knocking any of them, but they've they've all been sort of outcome based. And and as you mentioned earlier, um, you know Kate up in New York, uh, and and there are others of course that are <clears throat> excuse me that are doing something. But I think you have created a platform that will allow other instructors to sort of uh, again here's that pun, but jump on board the the little golf train, and you know get certified and be able to you know better understand how to to attack if you will this market uh and train this market in such a way that will uh not only benefit the kids but also benefit uh, golf in general and the instruction side of things and i think there's been a disconnect right well yeah and you know the thing is once they're certified they they can run with this program they can right. have it 
going as many times as they want. I mean, this this could be a very, very big part of their revenue. <clears throat> so it's, you know, one, and, and it's really easy. It really is. I mean, the certification, we've tried to make fun. It doesn't take that long. And once they have the manual, it is all done for the person. It's just, they just read through it. It's what they say, what the children do, what equipment you need. If they need the equipment, they can purchase it. If they don't need it, then that's fine, too. So we, we really tried to make it very easy providing this turnkey program for the instructor. Is, is this something, uh, and again, maybe not right at this stage because it's still fairly early on and you're, you're still doing some developing as you go along, but as, as this sort of you know, blossoms into to what you envision it being, do you see this, and um, Patricia, you just mentioned about not necessarily having to uh, have it at the golf course or even the driving range, but can you see this sort of migrating into, um, you know, a, an elementary school curriculum, perhaps, if if approached the right way? Well, it's ages two to five, so it would probably be kindergarten. But sorry, yeah, um, certainly. Yeah, sorry, a- sorry, not a- yeah. You're right. I'm sorry. Pre- yeah, I didn't mean to say elementary. And yeah, and right. in places like New York now, where public education <laughs> starts pre-K, <clears throat> yes, absolutely. I think teachers would, would welcome it. Well, I just think it's a great, you know, a great key, if you will, a great vessel to introduce it to the school system because, you know, teachers are looking for ways. And, and again, as, as we all know, golf is a, a really mimics life in, in so many ways. And until you understand that and, and have been exposed to it, you, you don't really understand it. And I think that what I can envision this program doing is, is on one part, yeah, it's great for the instructors and the coaches out there, but I can also see with the right uh, approach, I can even see um, teachers that are properly, you know, vetted and trained in that um, can somehow wean this into the school system. And, you know, golf has really been looking for a way to, to get in other than just at the collegiate level or even high school level. But if we can find, again, you want to talk about growing the game getting in at that level uh, and at a very mm-hmm. basic level, I, I could really see this thing, again, if handled correctly, could really take off and, and become a national part, you know, part of a national program. Yeah, absolutely. One of the people that we met at the PGA show um, is a golf professional from Kenya. Hmm. And I'm sure there's sort of intimated, there are a lot of bureaucratic hurdles but sure. he's trying to make it part of uh, they have Montessori school after school <clears throat> programs, and he's trying to get it to be part of that, which would yeah be a, a wonderful thing. Well, and that's what I mean, you know, whether it be an after school program and and you know what have you, but it, I, I could see that getting into the main school systems uh, at sure, some point. Sure, right, as part of it, integrated into the curriculum, absolutely. I mean, if you look, well, exactly, because if you look at really many other sports, um, some, you know, what I mentioned earlier, really have that sort of integration already. So golf is, is a, another, you know, game, sport, however you want to phrase it, that really has not sort of broken through that, that you know, lining yet. And I think this, with what you're talking about here with the little golf train, I think this is a, a great opportunity to introduce it at, at its um you know, at its uh, at, at that level, and uh, you know, I could see it growing and growing uh, from that point. So, 
Um, kudos to both of you for, for coming up with this and, and putting this together. Um, Nicole, do you want to just let everybody know for those um, parents that might be interested in, in having their, their you know, kids involved, where they can go to learn information, and for those uh, coaches and instructors that are tuning into the program tonight, um, where can they go to get more information and find out how to become involved in the certification program? Yeah, definitely a great question. Um, our main website, www.littlegolftrain.com, has quite a lot of information on it, um, how to get certified, and uh, when you're ready, there's a link that you click on, and um, uh, parents will be able to check that out as well. We're going to be updating um, some of our certi- uh, certified conductors who are on board. I want to give a shout-out to Leanne Alba, uh, Michelle Holmes, Valerie Moore, Tim <coughs> Meischer, our first international in Switzerland, and uh, Stacey miller aren't So um, that would be the place to go, littlegolftrain.com. And uh, we're using um, a code for the um, half off at the moment. So for the first 50 who apply, it is C-O-D-E in capital, and then no space, 300, code 300. So that's okay. what you put in there at the registration. So, um, And if you leave a message through there, Patricia will get that. We'll respond to you, and uh, happy to answer questions. Perfect. Well, we and I think on our website with some really cute little merchandise and baby blankets and little golf shirts, little golf hats. And and you don't have to be certified to purchase those. So that's there too. Perfect. Um, I I like that. And I think if I'm not uh, mistaken, Nicole, wasn't Valerie Moore one of the first ones to, uh, to jump on this when it, when it got launched? Yes, she was. It was, yeah. she was <laughs> a lot of good comments, and, and uh, yeah, people who are really excited to get started at the show. So, uh, yeah, and, and what she's creating there with uh, Mobile More Golf, it's it's going right. to be really cool. So uh, we're hoping it helps people to find a niche in their area, you know, for their facility or for themselves. And uh, yeah, we're very proud of them. So uh, looking forward to getting things really going. So yeah, Valerie actually reached out to me just after. Uh, uh, I, I guess you guys had had uh, conversations with her, and she was very, very excited about it. And and uh, she's a great lady, and I know she'll do very well with the program. Um, I want to congratulate both of you once again for for really putting this together, a little golf train. And I, I hope that you, um, you know Nicole and, and Patricia that you'll keep me updated uh, as things develop. I'll be more than happy to do whatever I can. And, and Nicole, you know, all you have to do is just reach out anytime you. you want to come on the show and and talk Thank about you. this. And um, keep the, you know, I do get the, the media releases as they, it's coming into my inbox all the time. So that's fantastic. So keep doing that. But, but if you need to come on, if there's, uh, you know, something that you want to promote or something specific that you uh, need to discuss, uh, Nicole, you know, you just need to reach out and uh, I'll, I'll open my doors uh, very welcomely to, to accommodate the two of you. Well, thank you so much. Thank that's you, really We really appreciate it. Not a problem. I want to thank the two of you for joining me uh, on the Coach's Corner and talking about a little golf train. And uh, on one final note, uh, Nicole, please tell Ty that I'm going to keep working on him. <laughs> I'm going to get him on the show. I know, I know, I understand. <laughs> if I have to bribe him, I'm going to get him on the show one night. But uh, if he's listening, he's a little shy. Yeah, I know. If he's listening, if you're listening, Ty. Um, not a problem. I'd love to have you come on when and if uh, you're ready, but uh, keep doing the great work that you're doing and uh, uh, kudos to you. Thank you ladies very much for joining uh, me tonight on Golf Talk Live on the Coach's Corner panel. I enjoyed our discussion and I've learned a little bit and as I said, I will always do whatever I can to to help grow this game and particularly uh, in the area that you're talking about. So keep up the good work and and please uh, sincerely keep me posted. Thank you so much. We'll do that. I really appreciate it. All right. You're very welcome. All right. Thanks, ladies. Take care. Thanks. Bye-bye.
Okay, right, bye. bye. Okay, that was my uh, my special guests, uh, Nicole Weller and Dr. Patricia Donnelly, uh, talking about, of course, the little golf train. And uh, it is a, a great program, uh, littlegolftrain.com uh, is the uh, website link. So if you want to go there, if you're somebody in the golf profession, you're interested in uh, learning more about uh, what the program entails and uh, what's involved, um, I, I would strongly suggest you go. I, I really do, and I mean this sincerely, uh, for those of you tuning into the program, uh, I mean this sincerely that I think it is a great program, a great way to introduce uh, our youth to to the golf game uh and you know I, I certainly meant no no disrespect earlier when i said that uh you know with some of the other uh, programs out there uh, those programs have a place as well but i i think that we have to sometimes take things at its most basic level uh first in other words you can't put the you know the cart before the horse so Let's let's you know expose these youngsters to golf. Let them have fun, get out there, enjoy it, and let sort of nature take its course. Uh, whether or not they want to develop, you know, into the next Annika Sorenstam or Tiger Woods or uh, Rory McIlroy or whoever it happens to be, um, you know, let's not sort of push and prod them into a direction. If they express that interest, then by all means, uh, you need to be supportive, but let them take the lead and, and not the other way around. Um, let me just a quick note. Um, I'm just waiting for my next guest. Uh, I'm going to be joined here by two great uh, golf professionals, of course, Alan and Cindy Miller, a great couple. Cindy, of course, as most of you know, uh, co-hosts with me on the uh, morning shows on Tuesday, Women of Golf Show. And uh, we have some great uh, members of the LPGA and Symmetra Tours, as well as some other great uh, uh, golf industry types that have come on the show. We enjoy doing that. It's every Tuesday mornings on blogtalkradio.com from 9 to 10 Eastern uh, Standard uh, Time, uh, and uh, 9 to 10 a.m., excuse me, uh, Eastern Standard Time. And that's at blogtalkradio.com forward slash women of golf. So make sure uh, that you go and tune into that program as well on Tuesdays. We're live, of course, from 9 to 10 uh, Eastern. Um, my next guests, of course, have been around golf uh, for a very, very long time. I'm going to introduce, of course, uh, Alan Miller uh, here first. He's a PGA professional, uh, PGA Tour past champion, a life member, of course. Uh, he finished eighth in the, as a U.S. Uh, amateur in 1968 and earned an exemption into 1969 Masters. And at the time, he played uh, a pretty big hook, as he uh, indicates here, but he knew that if he wanted to get better and not uh, play in fear for the rest of his life, he needed to make some changes. And it was after that U.S. Amateur that Allen found Bob Toskey, and Bob and Allen changed his golf swing entirely. And over the next two years, Allen was ranked uh, the number one and two uh, amateur in the United uh, States. He went on to become a PGA Tour winner and life member and is still uh, considered to be the second purest ball striker Dave Pelse has ever tested. And his lovely wife, of course, as I mentioned, Cindy, uh, who co-hosts the Women of Golf show with me every uh, Tuesday morning on Blog Talk Radio. She is an LPGA professional and also uh, plays on the Legends Tour when she has some time. Uh, she's a graduate of the University of Miami where she began as a walk-on and gained uh, All-American status her senior year uh, as a Division I women's golf team. Uh, she served as the uh, team captain, in fact, uh, and helped her team win the NCAA National Championships uh, back in 1977 and 1978. Uh, she's a veteran of five U.S. Uh, women's Opens and she is a former LPGA Tour player and uh, presently a Class A LPGA professional. Uh, currently, she holds, uh, sorry, currently she plays on the Legends Tour, uh, which is, of course, as you know, the official senior tour for the uh, LPGA. 
and sits within the top 30 of uh, the career uh, money list. Uh, she competes with such uh, L2, uh, LPGA Tour stars as Nancy Lopez, uh, Pat Bradley, and Jan Stevenson. And uh, many of you might remember her um, back in 2005, I believe it was, uh, when she was on the Golf Channel's uh, hit reality series, The Big Break 3, which was ladies only, uh, where she did uh, extremely well. We're going to talk a little bit about that tonight, and we're going to talk uh, just a little bit uh, as I spend an evening with the Millers. Let me welcome them aboard. Good evening. Good evening. Good, good evening. Uh, I'm, I'm spending an evening with the Millers, and I'm very excited to have the two of you here. Um, thank you for, for joining me and, and uh, for agreeing to come on together. Um, Cindy, I know you and I – well, I appreciate it. Thank you, Alan. Uh, Cindy, I know that, that you and I uh, get to work together, if you will, for an hour every Tuesday morning. Uh, so we get a, a chance to chat a little bit before and get to chan- uh, chat some golf, of course, during the program. But I wanted to talk um, – I wanted to give you, you guys an opportunity because, Cindy, we, you and I have been doing – uh, your online, uh, the uh, Own Your Game Academy here for the last few weeks. And uh, I wanted to really give you an opportunity to talk about that in a little bit more depth and detail. Um, how did you sort of come up with that? Why? What was the purpose behind it? And let's talk about some of the successes that you've had with the Own Your Game Academy. Well, I think it was a selfish reason that I came up with the idea because when I heard there was a legend for the former LPGA tour player, um, I needed to personally defeat a few demons myself because I wanted right. to pull myself out of the closet and figure out what was wrong with me when I did play on the LPGA tour. So I, I qualified to play, and I played for three years, but of the best in the world, I was one of the worst. And I lost my car to hear that Alan and I got married, and the plan was to go back qualifying school and try to qualify again, but I got pregnant a month after we got married Kelly. So my plan was the same plan. So I never went back to play, and all these years we spent, you know, teaching and uh, I caddied for Alan for a while, and then we started playing and started teaching, and I just really wanted to figure out what was wrong with me. So in the process of finding out my faults and my strengths and my weaknesses, um, it brought me all these things of, you know, are you audio-visual or synesthetic? How do you learn? And what's your personality style? Alan and I are total opposite. Alan would be uh, like James Duffner or Freddie Couple. Right. Freddie you know, he's just close mode, and I'm like a wired maniac, kind of control freak. And... <laughs> And, it, and so I tried so hard, and I did for tournament, and it's like, okay, let's go. And you just can't try to win. So in the midst of me trying to fix me, I had to be willing to look at the mirror and figure out what was wrong with me. And when I did, I found, you know, I'm not the only wacko in the bunch. And right. So I, I got certified as a personality stuff, this behavior, this profile. Because it really did help save our marriage. And mm-hmm. the audiovisual kinesthetic piece was all of our students, and we came up with an assessment that we put online. And then I went and got certified with both sites because, again, you know, I wanted to find out what was wrong with me. And when I first took their assessment, uh, 
Graham Parsons on Cleveland said, you know, you rank better than 99% of the tour players, men and women, play on the tour right this minute. So, of course, hmm. my next question was, so what's wrong with me? You know, if, I, if I'm so good at this, why do I not score better? And when I went to Texas, I found out because John is, invented a thing called the mind meter. And, of course, you know, my tension level is at an all-time high, and I have right. to learn how to react so I can better get a shot. So a long answer to this question, but I basically came up with the Ocean Game Academy because all things to people that come on our lessons, they can't get a shot, they try to start, they have no idea why they can't perform as fast as they can. And so the purpose of this is to help them see what else they need to fix yeah, well, well said, and and um, and I, and I and I think it's important, Cindy, that that people understand sort of the history and the background of why. And I mean, I know you've discussed it on um, the morning show a number of times, and and I'm glad that you you did it here tonight. Um, Alan, would you agree that a lot of golfers, especially today, are, are really struggling with their game? You know, they're to the point of frustration and. Do you think that with the approach that you're taking, you're trying to break through some of that frustration and, and you know, help them to, to have more fun and enjoy the game, but at the same time figure out the real reason why they're not playing at the level that they could be um, through this academy? Well, definitely. It's, it's not just today. It was in that same, same light in my era also. It really hasn't changed. The only problem is our society now is so much quick fix and, and I want – gratification five minutes ago instead of two weeks now. Uh, right. That's the, only, that's the way it has changed. We're a very impatient society now. In my day, you know, like when I changed my whole game, I, I knew what I wanted to look like. I knew what kind of shot pattern I wanted to have. And I wanted to get rid of the hook, but I knew I had to have somebody help me do it. So I also mm-hmm. knew that all he could do was guide me. It was going to be totally up to me to put that in right. effect. And part of the problem with teaching is People don't know how to, how to take lessons or to get help. They just go to help and say, hope you push a button and I'll hit it better. Second yeah. of all, they don't take the responsibility that I have to do the work to get it done. They, they kind of want to blame it on the teacher. They want to <clears> blame <throat> it on the circumstances, wherever it might be. Um, so with the Only Game Academy idea is, is in fact, you have to take responsibility for what the person you're getting help from is telling you to do, and you have to put it into effect. He can't put a magic wand in your head and make you a partner. Now, that comment I just made came out of Jack Nicholson's teacher's book, Jack Brown. Don't expect right. a teacher to put a wand in your head and make you a partner. You have to be willing to work, suffer ups and downs, and you can get better. But most people aren't willing to do that. It really hasn't changed much, but the, the uh, way of teaching is not laying it on the students much. They're saying, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do this, and I have the secret answer for you, and you get all this that down will be okay. You got to be able to put it in effect. That's that's part of what the On Your Game Academy is about. This is going to show you what to do, show you why you need to do it, and help you right. learning to do it. But you have to do the work and put your mindset that, and hopefully make them aware that nobody can just make you do it. You have to, or get better. You have to want to get better, and you have to follow up. How do you, um, okay, let me ask? Right. Let me ask the two of you this, and 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 either one can answer. Wh- whoever uh, wants to jump on this one, but um, how do you keep 
the instruction simple enough that you're not overwhelming the student with, with too much information. In other words, you're not bombarding them with too much information, but yet giving them enough information that they can then process and say, okay, yeah, I get that. I understand why I need to do that. How do you find that happy balance? Because that, and, and Cindy, I know both of you and Alan could probably attest to this. There's a lot of technology. There's a lot of great information out there, but there's also a lot of students that get bombarded with too much. In other words, the information is great for you and I and Alan and others in the profession, but sometimes if we transfer that onto the student, it can overwhelm them. How do you find that happy balance um, when working through your academy without over, you know? To- well, I, I personally believe that the counseling is really a simple maneuver if you understand what you're trying to do. You stack that with it's all complicated. It's not nearly as complicated as we all make it to be. And the data comes out, that's, see, that's pretty much useful. That's just feedback after the effect. You can't teach right. that. In fact, trying to teach a, teach a kid, teach a kid in school to, to the test. You know, you got to teach them the information and let them learn the information, then they can pass the test. So I, I don't believe in a whole lot of data. The data comes from after the effect. Um, right. If you keep things, try to keep it as simple as possible. I have a whole basic process in my own head of what you know what steps need to be taken. It's a very simple, simple process. And we all, you know, all this stuff about you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do this, you got to do that. If you make a good swing, you'll be doing all that anyway. So rather than saying, you know, A leads to B leads to C leads to D leads to E, let's just say A, B, C, D, E, and, you know, make it a slow pattern and as part of process, they can have uh, process loops. I don't need to explain, but, you know, you have a slow pattern, you know, go from process A to process C to, C to get the big picture rather than harping on all this stuff. Plus, when you use data, you're showing people all the things they do bad. You're not right. showing them what they can do and do good and keep improved on. So you constantly well, I, I personally want to keep on a positive note, not a negative note. But see, when you tell them all the things they need to work on and do bad, they, they get overwhelmed with how bad they are and they'll never get anything. Yeah, that's you true. The, you know, the ball is the evidence of what you've done with the club. Right. And so we really try to simplify it because if you teach on a track man, I mean, we've got, we've got earned sports, we've got body press, we've got all the fun tools, but we only use them when we need to use them. We, we really teach by, you know, where's the ball going and why is it going there? And what right. well, to make the ball go where it went. And it's amazing if you give them, you know, again, if they know if they're audiovisual or kinesthetic, I call that the dumb blonde way point. <laughs> so if you're if you're an auditory learner, you might stand over it going da dum da dum. Yep. That's all you're thinking about is tenfold rather than what angle is my left arm with my wrist at the top of my back. So you can't think left brain and play golf. Got to be right, right. So that's the. You know, in my, in my, I'm, I'm a very much a, a tactician golfer. I mean, I'm, I can sit there and talk golf playing theory day in and day out with anybody in the world. I don't decide. I decided a long time ago not to do that because I don't really care about getting on the golf side to the top hundred people. Much right. I care about helping somebody play better. So I can talk theory all day long to any of my counterparts when I play. So I know an awful lot about the golf swing. 
it's only as good as you learn to use it, and if you overcomplicate it, you're not going to be able to learn to use it anyway. So I have a little saying that I use in my own, in my own teaching, that, that the bridge between the United States and Canada up here called the Peace Bridge. And I say, if a guy told you to go jump off the Peace Bridge because it makes your life better, would you do it? And of course, the answer is, well, no, I wouldn't do it. I said, well, why not? They told you to do it. So right. I would question. I would question why would it make my life better? What the answer might be? Well, we're going to catch you on the way down, so you're really not going to die, but it might make you overcome a fear. Well, that's one thing. But in reality, if you just jump off the bridge, you're going to die. So just because somebody tells you to do something, I wouldn't necessarily just do it. It has to follow. Actually, has to follow physics. It has to make logical sense. And if it meets that criteria, then I will work on it. Well, most people don't even ask you the question, why do you want me to do that? Or what's the basis behind it? They just say, well, my guy told me, my other guy told me to do this. Well, does that mean he's right or wrong? I don't know. What's the basis, foundation of that information? Well, he said, my numbers were this and that and this track, man. I said, that doesn't right. mean anything. Show me what, what he told you to do or whoever it is, what they told you to do, and let's talk about why it may not be the easiest way to do, to do something. That's, well, that's and- my basic philosophy. Right, and the, and the other thing too that I think a lot of people and 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 again I don't want to criticize the industry, but one of the the dangers that I've seen uh, it, it's starting to change a little bit now, but it, for a while there it seemed to be going where one size fits all type of teaching. In other words, they were trying to put everybody in the same box. And you know, Cindy, as you talked about in the, in the beginning, you know, you're a much different style of player than what your husband Alan is, and vice versa. So, you know, taking the, the four uh, juniors that we had on the show this Tuesday, um, you know, you had Alex and then you had Emma and I believe Annika and Tori. They're all different players, so you have to approach them individually and differently in your in your tactics and, and what you talk to them about. Is that correct? Absolutely. Again, that becomes learning to know your students also. We deal with each one individually as a person. Still have a basic concept for a golf swing, if you like the most efficient way to do it. But within teaching them, to get the message across, you have to deal with the person individually according to what their personality styles are, you know, how they learn, all that stuff that talks about on your game. Exactly. Well said. Um, I, I want to just shift gears just a little bit, and, and we'll come back and, and talk a little bit more uh, instruction. But I know both of you have, have played on, on a professional tour. Um, you know, throughout your career, I want to talk about some, just so that people understand, and we don't have to get into all the the specific details of, um, you know, we understand the generals and that, but I I want you to explain, um, because it's it's competitive golf, sort of the ups and downs of life on tour. Um, You know, people sort of glamorize what they see on TV and they think, oh, it's great. But the reality is, it's a lot of hard work, uh, as both of you can attest to. So let's start with you, Alan, first, and then um, Cindy, I want you to talk about some of your experiences and, and how it's helped you to become a better instructor. And Alan, so you oh, go ahead. Absolutely. Yeah, well, and when I started playing the tour in 1971, obviously not everybody could afford to fly. There weren't that many flights to get there. The tour was kind of spread out. Did a lot of driving. People don't I was on the road 30 weeks a year. Because in those days, to make, to make a living and pay the, pay the travel expenses, whatever, you had to play a lot of weeks. A lot of tournaments. He had to take a lot of cuts because there wasn't that much money except the very top, but even the top didn't have that much money. So he had to play a lot of, a lot of these events. Today, you know, this kids come out guaranteed $100,000, $500,000, club something, and whatever. 
and they could fly a jet air, you know, fly first private airplanes, a lot of places. And they're they're making their whole basis on if I play good in a tournament, a couple of tournaments a year, if I have a couple of second or third places, they're gonna make me around eight or nine hundred thousand dollars in right. two weeks. Where in my day you had to be consistently towards the top and that made it a lot lot different. So I was on the road all the time playing tournaments and you know, you change hotel rooms, you go to different cities every week. First couple of years it's special special stuff you don't know where to go, you don't know where to eat. You know, you don't right. have any friends there. Over a period of time, you start making those things from different cities. Um, but it was a lot harder in those days that way because you, know, you were on the boat all the time. It must have been like 30, 32 events a year. Uh, so you never had time off, really. You were constantly on the plan. And the first few years, made a tough point. And you learn to do it. You learn to deal with it. It's a, a whole lot different. Plus, then you been able to stay focused on working, playing, packing the car, getting the car, driving, getting the time when you got there and all that stuff. You were tired by the time you got there. Then you had to get the time to relax, rest, whatever. So it's a whole different lifestyle. Then as far as playing in the game, you still have to be able to put yourself in the mode of just be sent. And then one of the hardest parts is learn to be patient for four days. Now, fortunately, yeah. in those days of amateur golf, I played a lot of amateur terms. There were four rounds also, which there was four days of amateur golf tournaments, and then back back four days of playing then. But you know, learning to pace yourself is hard. You know, it's all some big picture. But it's not all glamour. You know, you talk about playing in different places. Playing, I went to Hawaii 15 times. The only thing I got wow. to see in Hawaii was the airport, hotel room, <laughs> the golf course, golf course, and back to the hotel room again. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's true. No, and, and and it was certainly a different time. And you know, I've I've heard, um, you know, Jack and and Arnie and and some of the other um, greats of the game mention the very same thing. Very early on on life on tour is much different than what it is today. Um, Cindy, let me ask you. I mean, you you've obviously played on the LPGA, and and now um, when your schedule permits, you're able to play in in some Legend Tour events and that. Um, You've obviously had your share of ups and downs. That what do you take away from your your time playing on tour that you're able to articulate and then you know move that into your teaching? How are you, what are you able to extrapolate, if you will, from from what you've done, your experiences on 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 uh, competitive golf uh, to teaching? What what's been able to take away from that? Well, I think what I like most about golf is you never really arrive. So. I am always trying to work on something to help me get better. So when I do events with domestic tour players, I'm going to be playing a one in May. And it's both better than pretty rare and Ted Bradley and those guys. Um, we're going to play an event with the Spectre Tour in Greenwood, South Carolina. And as you know, we have Spectre Tour players on our, on our show every Tuesday morning. Right. And whenever I do an event with them and I, I have a corporate crowd with me, I will say to them, I'd like to introduce yourself. I'd like to tell everybody where you're from, how long you've been on tour, and what you're working on. Yep. And I do that because I want the amateurs that are with us to understand that even though these girls are on the LCG, we're a and they're really, really good. 
that they're still working on something. Yeah. And I think that's what I like the most about the game of golf. And, and it's like, it's, or even, you know, some 80-year-old, I've got a 80-year-old woman coming in for a lesson. I, I wanted to depart, and every once in a while i got to tell her at the bookmark, you need to be grateful the jury is playing golf. You know, there's a lot of people that don't pick at this bottom. And, you know, hitting a 20-yard carve is not going to happen, but let's hit it a little more specifically. So it's, it's the fact that you're always trying to do something and you're working on it and you're just trying to get better. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And well said, both of you. I, the reason why I wanted to ask that question is, you know, not that obviously everybody is, is going to jump out tomorrow and, and try to make it on the PGA or the LPGA Tour or, or what have you, um, but it's a big commitment to play competitive golf at whatever level, whether it be collegiate to, on the tour or even in, for their high school team. Uh, it's a big commitment, and it takes a lot of hard work. Um, I want to ask the two of you this question, and again, you can flip for whoever wants to, to uh, answer first, but um, obviously through your, your academy, it's not just about the golf swing and the mechanics. It's, it's to help them navigate their way around the golf course. Um, when you're doing that, what are some key things that you're trying to get your students to focus on so that they understand it's not just about getting you know, on the right plane, it's not just about making solid contact all the time, although those are, are important things, it's about understanding how to think your way around the golf course. What do you do with your students to try to help them understand that aspect of it? Well, I think it's important to, my opinion is you have to stay focused on a simple process. you gotta, you got to be able to decide what club to hit, what the lie is like, what the circumstances are, what the wind doing, what the temperature, all that kind of stuff. Those are decisions you do before you pull out a club or you decide what club to hit. But once you get up over here to shot, you need to be able to put your mind at rest just a couple of simple things off and try to trust the process. The great interviewer, Rory McIlroy, at the British Open, won a couple of years ago. He said, he said his only thing was he had to have two simple swing thoughts, not to worry about the results, not to worry about any circumstances that are coming ahead. Just two simple swing thoughts to be able to do. Most people are so, so many things going through their heads. I also hate the term when somebody says, I got, I, I'm thinking too much. Maybe thinking right. too much. What are you? What are you thinking? You know, it's yeah. not. Are you thinking a positive swing thought? Uh, I've already made the decision what club to hit. Can I have a positive swing thought, or am I thinking, don't hit it here, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this? You have to learn to overcome that. And, and again, that goes into personal responsibility. You have to put your mind in the right frame to be able to think. I'm going to have some positive thoughts. I'm going to miss shots. But if I miss a shot, where am I going to miss it to? Decisions made ahead, but if I know my swing
you have to become your own caddy because you know, most of us don't have caddies to remind us all that. So it takes an extra level. We have to take control of ourselves. All right, this is what I'm going to do, and that's all I'm going to think about. Does that make sense? Yeah. Right? Yeah, that, that well said. Um, Cindy, let me ask you, I'm going to just tweak the question just a little bit because um, I want to get back sort of to, to the mental side of the game because I think that's, that sort of falls in line with what we're talking about on, on uh, our Tuesday show. Um, you know, would you agree that one of your Achilles heels, if you will, one of the challenges that you faced when you were playing out on tour um, while you were navigating on the course was being able to quiet your mind down uh, and focus on the things that you needed to? In other words, too much information was coming in, too many thoughts that maybe were not benefiting you at the time was one of the issues that you dealt with when you were out on tour? Yeah, because I, I try too hard and I think too much. So what Alan has helped me do, and because I'm so wired, it's good to be hanging out with someone who's not. Right. Try to help me make strategies, play the golf course, using my strength and avoiding my weakness. So... Might play a practice round and say, okay, this is how you should play this hole. And if I make a strategy, which is what I need as a high D personality, which is a competitive control break, I need to stick with that strategy no matter what the situation. Right. So, you know, you might say, oh, well, you're coming down the stretch and, you know, you got a two shot lead. Are you going to change your game plan? No. You can't change the game plan. And, and John Stabler has helped me with Deborah Graham with golf site to say, you know, for a high D personality who's overly dominant, you are not going to go for it unless you've got at least a 50-50 chance of pulling the shot off. Right. And that, right. that helps, you know, it's like, no, just back away, bite the bullet, take the hit when you need to, and, and just play smart, basically. And one of the things Alan said to me last year at the LPGA National Teaching Championship, which I've never even thought this thought, you know, again, it's so cool to hang out with somebody that's totally opposite of you. And he says, all you want to do is give yourself the opportunity. I go, what do you mean? Give yourself an opportunity to be fighting for birdie. You know, if you give yourself 15 or 16 opportunities for birdie, you're not going to shoot 80. And I'm like, wow, I never even thought that. I'd like fire at the pen and let go and miss the green and bury the bunker and make double and no, don't take a chill pill. You don't have to hit it by the hole. You just have to hit it on the green. So it's a mindset. As long as you're aware of of yourself and you're willing to look in the mirror, you know, then you can make decisions that will help you. And that'll yeah. help you play a lot. Yeah, just like it. Excuse me, just like any other sport, like football games or whatever. If the football team is get, got, gets way behind and early in the game, they, they still have to stick to their game plan. If they start going helter-skelter just trying to score points and do everything they need for their game plan, they're not going to score the points anyway. So they have to be patient enough to say, all right, I made a game plan for myself, for our team. I may be 21 points down in the first half quarter. We've got to stick to our game plan and just execute, execute, execute. And if I do that, I have a good opportunity of making a comeback. Otherwise, I have no chance. Same if you're playing gambling in Vegas. You know, you can't double up and try to catch up. You lose all your money. You have to know when to walk away or when to back down or when to say, okay, I'm just going to stay steady, Eddie. 
not try to go double up catch up because you'll end up losing everything. So you got to have right. that plan game and know what your game style is and stick to it. Right, exactly. You know, something that – and I've, I've briefly mentioned this, I think, on, on our other program, Cindy, um, not certainly into any great detail, and I won't get into it tonight, but um, working with a lot of corporate types – you know, they're always asking me, well, you know, I, I, I don't know what to do. I get in this situation and I'm not sure. And I said, there are four things that I want you to think about on every hole um, besides, you know, obviously a, a smooth tempo and things like that is I want them to, to, number one, think of position, where they want the golf ball to, to you know, line up from the, right from the very first tee. Then I want them to think about their approach when, it, when it's appropriate recovery, and then scoring. So there's four factors that I always ask them to think about in every hole. So right from the very first tee, where do you want the ball to be from the very first tee shot? Because I see a lot of uh, golfers, what they'll do is they'll get up to the very first tee. They have no idea where they want the ball to go. They think, well, in the middle of the fairway, well, or maybe the right side. They have no idea where they need to position that golf ball. So I want them to think about position, where they want to have that golf ball from the very first tee. And then from the, secondly, I want them to think about their approach. Now that they've got a good position, now they want to approach the green if it's, if it's feasible. In other words, if they're too far away, don't go for it. So, again, you might have to go back to position again. And then if the ball goes you know, into the right rough and it's not a good uh, way to approach, then they might have to hit a recovery shot. And then ultimately, you know, as they get on the green, then they're going to score. And the reason why I simplify it to, that, to those four factors, and again, they're in different combinations depending on what hole you're playing, the length and, and so forth, the reason why I do that is because too many people, and, and I, I'm sure both of you can attest to this, will step up to the very first tee and they have absolutely no idea what to do. They don't know where they want the ball to go. They have no idea and they sort of swing for the fences. So how do you program your golfers to be able to think clearly right from the get-go? And uh, Cindy, I'll let you go first. Well, again, you have to say, well, first you've got to be able to hit the ball. And then right. when you go to the golf course, you have to be able to use it. And you have to play within your own skill level. So we do exactly what you do. We just don't have words, you know, words to right. say it. But how can I best play this hole with the game that I own? Right. And how should I maneuver myself? Because, it, you know, again, a lot of times I'll tell people, you know, you hit the ball far enough to bogey every hole. And if you maybe you don't want to hit driver, maybe you want to hit a you know a three hybrid off the tee and get exactly. on the green and one over regulation and two five you just shot ninety and the best score you've ever had before was one hundred and two. You know, no. so it depends on what they're looking for. If they're looking to score better, we can definitely help them with course management. Absolutely. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I, I, I've never. I've never, was never, ever in the locker room on PGA Tour in all my years or as an amateur and before that or at Augusta National or wherever it might be, sitting in the locker room after the term was over and hear a player come in. You know, I could have won that tournament today, any second or third, if I could have just hit it 20 yards further off the tee all day right. long. But I do hear him say, I could have won that tournament if I'd have hit a couple more fairways or I hadn't hit right. that drive on the third and fourth hole out of bounds. Or if I hit five, two or three more greens, I didn't have to hit it closer, just hit less bad shots. And the game of golf is not hitting more good shots, it's hitting less bad shots, minimizing right. how bad they are, and then allowing for them. So if they have, if they have a shot learning, swinging the club, how to have some kind of 
pattern of error can we become a better player. Then it becomes easier to step up on a tee and say, okay, I've got a whole fairway. Even when I play, I don't try to hit a fairway or a spot in the fairway. If I hit a zone, I'm in good shape. So I, I'm yep. always thinking about put it in play, put it in play. I don't care how far it goes, put it in play. Put right. it on the green. Right. I don't care where the pin is. Put it on the green. Can I hit it in a 50-yard area rather than worrying about a four-inch area? Uh, right, you know, exactly. And I think that's where people make the mistake, part of the mistake, and then can they, do they have the skill level to be able to do that? And if they don't, if they're not quite that good, then what kind of hit a little shorter and put it somewhere in play? Just give me some opportunities to keep it in play. And that's, that's, that's the way they're going to enjoy the game better and shoot better scores and keep it in play first rather than as everything's advertised on TV. You're going to hit this club 10 yards further. So what if it's 10 yards further out of bounds? <laughs> yeah. You're exactly, yeah, you're exactly right, and, and I think we would all agree on that. Um, you know, the other thing, too, is, as I talked about a little bit earlier in, in the segment, um, you know, one of the things that, that we see is, is, has happened over the years is trying to put everybody in that same box. You know, Alan, <clears throat> excuse me, you knew from, from playing on the tour a number of years back, you know, you saw players like um, Lee Trevino, Gary Player, um, you know, uh, Right. Alan, uh, you know, so on and so forth. There's many of them. A few names escape me now, but they all had uniquely different swings. They had basically the same core fundamentals. They just might have arrived at the ball slightly differently than one another, but essentially they they had the, the core fundamentals. How do you try to take the the God-given talent that each of us have, and then add some of the necessary components without having to reinvent the wheel? How do you find that happy balance in that aspect of the golf game? Well, from what I believe in, that anybody can learn to hit it straight as long as they have the freedom to swing, they have their arms moving their shoulders back and forth. The problem with teaching today is everybody's trying to teach everybody what the tour players do. Well, how many tour players right. do you have? And those are the ones that do have God-given talent. Okay, You can't teach right. somebody to swing like Jim Stewart or Lee Trevino, but you can take somebody and build them and develop them a solid, basic, simple golf swing as long mm-hmm. as they have the you know, don't have any physical limitations, you know, to some degree. Sure. Uh, and if you can do that, but all the stuff that's being taught is, is basically tour player does this, and this is his data, and this is his number. Well, how many, first of all, how many hours is somebody going to be able to work on that? Tour players like myself, or even the kids today, we're spending eight or nine hours a day working on our golf swings nonstop to some degree, whatever it might be, whether it's playing or practicing. We're thinking about what we're doing all the time. Most people don't have the time, so you can't teach somebody to become a tour player. So why teach them what tour players do? They say, this guy's got this data. He does this when he swings. Well, so what? You know, that's fine and dandy for a tour player, but you've got to average Joe Blows what the basis of the game are all about is the average person. And we believe right. in trying to teach the simplest way to do it. And basically from our theory, in which our theory was taught to me by Bob Toski, who came from Ben Hogan, it's very, it's very simple, and anybody can learn to do it if they're willing to do it. But that said, it's not. It's not. Everybody's trying to teach what the tour players do, and you can't do that. I think that's that's where that's what's hurt the game more than anything. Why people aren't right. having fun? They're trying to do everything to the method of a tour player, and tour players are different. Also, you know, not everybody swings the club on tour the same way. I can watch one person swing. There's some things I don't like about Jordan Spieth's player. Jordan right, Spieth's right. Swing, but so what? He's a hell of a good player. He's learned to trust his own swing. And there's some things he's going to have to develop to become a better player within his own game. But, I, you know, you wouldn't go in and try to change him from everything he does. Or Jim Furyk, you wouldn't do that either. He's like, let's just work on being consistently back to what you can do the best. 
And I think we're missing out on that as, as in, in the golf community. Is let's don't try to teach everybody the way a tour player plays because you can't do it anyway. Um, you're, you're exactly right, Cindy. Let me ask you, and and I I know. We, we can't get into all of the, the meat and potatoes, if you will, and we, we certainly want people to tune in uh, Tuesday mornings to hear it uh, anyways. But give us sort of a general overview um, of the assessment process that you, that you uh, have put into your Own Your Game Academies. In order, in order to, like, from step one, what, it, what are you looking for when, it, when a person comes to, uh, to take the, uh, you know, lessons with you or uh, join the academy? What is it that you're first wanting to find out from them and then where do you go? What's step two? So I ask them a lot of questions. I ask them, um, if you've never been before, and you can't use GPS, and you can't use your phone, and you have no idea where you're going, would you want me to tell you how to get there? Would you want to read written directions, or would you want to look at a map? And they kind of look at me like, what? And I say, well, just tell me, you know, what, how you would prefer to have me tell you how to get there. And they tell me. And then I ask them what they do for a living. And that's typically, so this is just a normal half-hour lesson, right? Somebody's right. not doing the Own Your Game Academy. And I ask them what they do for a living. And if they say, you know, I had my last guy tonight is a IT security guy, guy for a big bank here. So he, I call, oh, you're the money cop. Yeah. yeah. I said, so are you in the- are you a number wizard? Yeah. Are you like things to be organized? Oh, my God, yeah, sometimes to a fault. So, again, because of all the work that we've done with guys at high speed. So I look to see how he's dressed, you know, see if he's got everything perfect. And uh, I said, so I'm going to give you a system. So I already know that this guy's very organized, very detail-oriented. He wants a path. He wants a system. He's probably going to ask me 400 questions. And and I say, you know what, I've got a little list here. He says, oh, my God, I love lists. You know. Yep. So because it's very important for us to teach the student, instead of teach the student about us, it's about us teaching the student. So right. the process in the Own Your Game Academy goes even deeper, though. I, we make you take an online assessment, which is 25 questions, to find out if you're audiovisual kinesthetic. Uh, the second thing that we make you do is the DISC survey, which is also online, and you get a 12-page report about yourself. And then the third thing we make you do online is the mental golf profile, which is another 20-page report on yourself to find out, you know, are you dominant, are you self-sufficient, do you have trouble focusing on, on the golf course. So, again, we teach people anywhere from I just want to have fun to right. I want to play on the tour. So it, depending on what you're looking for and what your skill level is, we can go as high as you want. And a lot of times what we do is we, it's almost like a pyramid. You know, the bottom mm-hmm. of the pyramid is I just want to play for shits and giggles, and the top of it is I want to be as good as I can possibly be, and right. anywhere in between. So it just depends on the student. It's, it's important for us to know that, and it's important for them to know that, because in my life I found out, Later in my life, after some problems, that I, you know, I was, I was okay. It wasn't, I wasn't bad. I was trying to be somebody I wasn't. And we want right. people that we teach, use their own personality to their strengths to become better players. Also, rather than being, you know, you can't teach somebody to be Ben Hogan if their personality mm. is like Lee Trevino. You can't make them play right. off that way. You have to go with whatever their strengths are. 
and and not to say you you know if you're a Lichavino type of personality, you need to learn to shut up. You need to learn how to yep. calm that down a little bit. Same if you're Ben Hogan personality, you can't go out and start trying to be jumping around and being you know uh, Christina Kim on the golf course. You just need to learn that that's the way I am. I'm not going to let other people affect me so much. And, and it's okay to be a perfectionist. I just can't be quite as perfectionist as I want to be. So you learn for yourself how to be a better you, which will help your golf game. But more importantly, it helps you be a better person and better in life. Right. And, uh, you know, Alan, I'm sure many have probably tried to shut Lee up over the years. and <laughs> We're not very successful at it. So you're, you're uh, exactly again, right. You know, when I played with him and Chichi Rodriguez, an example, playing with them, when you first play with them, it bothers you because they never shut up. That's yeah. why you learn, you know what? The, the fans like it. He, right. He's that way. That's the way he is. I'm not going to change him, so I'm going to learn to deal with what he's like rather than getting mad about him being that way. I'm going to learn <laughs> to put up with it and how to deal with it and let him be what he is, and I'll be who I am but not let it bother me. That becomes a big deal. Right, exactly. Um, the last question I want to to ask the both of you, and um, you know, Alan, you're, if you want to start first, where do you think that you know we we hear this this sort of buzz phrase for for many years now, growing the game, and how do we grow the game? Give us an idea of, of in a perfect world, in, in your world, if you will, where you see what direction do you think, in your opinion golf needs to, to, if it wants to grow the game, where it needs to grow, and how do we go about doing it? And then, Cindy, I want you to also uh, uh, add some thoughts to it. Well, I think there's some efforts being made right now. The play it forward idea is a great idea. I mean, I have, I have people, my 67 years old, I have people my age come in and say, well, I can't, I, I, I plan the back tees, and I can't get to the greens. I say, well, guess what? Move up. Move up to the ladies' yeah. tees if you have to. I play from the ladies' tees sometimes. I don't have the ego that says, well, i got to play from where I used to play. When I take my son to TPC in Jacksonville, he plays the tips where I used to play the tour front, tournament front. But now I'm up on the ladies' tees. It doesn't matter. But at least I'm hitting the same shots, types of right. shots into the greens that I hit, hit into the greens four years ago. I think that's gonna, that makes a big difference. The idea of, as we said, not how far you hit it, how straight you hit it. Well, if you hit it down the fairway 150 yards, Three times in a row, you're going to be on a 450-yard par four and three. Two putts, you make a bogey, you shoot 90. Rather than trying to hit the driver 280, and now you got to go out and find this ball that's lost in the woods. It takes you forever to play, so the pace of play is going to quicken up. And we have to do, we have to make play a lot faster. People don't have the four and a half or the five and a half hours, six hour time to play golf, and that's hurt golf a lot. And what are the golf courses doing? They're playing. They're making them longer. We're making them longer. Yeah. Now we're making them more playable for the average player. I think that's going to help out a lot. But I think I think just in the advertising, it's not how far you hit it, it's how straight you hit it. Let's get you around the golf course in three hours by hitting it straighter and not worrying about how far you hit it and take six hours to play. I think that kind of stuff can make a big difference. <clears throat> you know, and unfortunately yeah. for the last 20 years, it's been this driver's going to hit it further. Yeah, but it's going to be further out of bounds. It's going to take longer to play. So it goes into my theory of how to play better, but at the same time, it's going to make the pace of play quick enough. They also got to make it more affordable, you know, and the idea of hey, being able to go out and play a, Three hole, three hole loop type of golf course. It costs you ten bucks instead of one hundred and fifty bucks to go play an eighteen hole course. Can make play better and more affordable to the average guy. So I think that's gonna, that can make a big difference. Hopefully, the powers to be will continue to do that. Yeah, I, I agree. Do you think? Um, and Cindy, I want to add just a little bit um, to to your answer, if you will. Um, 
do you think some of the other efforts, like you see a lot of different areas outside of traditional, what, the, what we would classify as traditional golf courses, like Top Golf and some of these other things that are trying to break into different markets, but still with a golf theme. Um, do you th- see that on a long-term scale as, as getting new people to the game or other efforts that you can think of that maybe would, would help? I mean, certainly that's going to help expose some, but um, obviously we know that we're competing with a, a, a mass market of, of all kinds of different activities out there from social media to you name it. Um, golf is just a, you know, one peg in, in the chain, if you will. But do you see other things that are, that are happening right now in golf um, as being a, a positive influence or other things that you can think of that, that would maybe help people to come back to the game? I think we need to make it easier. I think that, um, Top golf is a great entertainment place. Right. I don't know how many people. I just got, I'm a member at Top Golf. We went. Right. You know, we've been to, um, and I paid the fee to become a member. And I just got an email about teaching, and they have teaching pros at Top Golf to help kids and adults learn to play better. So I think it's great exposure. Uh, but I think there's only like 10 or 15 facilities. So needless to say, that's not going to change everything. But I think we need to make it easier, and I think that, um, you know, get golf ready, that's great. I think uh, all the kids' things, the LPGA Girls Golf, I think the PGA Junior League. uh, But, again, the PGA Junior League, they're only at private clubs. So the first tee, I I think we need to make the game easier, and I think it would be great to have – you know, one of the places we teach has a three-hole, two-par threes and a par four yep. little practice academy, if you will, and LPG International has one of those. And that's great for t- taking new players out. I think if we had more of those three- or six-hole little courses, it mm. would make it more affordable and less time constraint, and it would be easier for beginners to go learn to play. It's also important important for people to try to learn to go out and have more fun playing golf instead of trying to make it so serious. Because, again, not everybody's going to be a tour player. And, again, it goes back to the teaching aspect. Everybody's trying to teach like a tour. You want to be like a tour player. Well, most people aren't going to be that way. So let's have some fun trying to learn something new, too. It's a challenge. And that's the the greatest thing about golf. It's a personal challenge. And let's use it that way to have some fun doing it. You're exactly right. You know, uh, earlier in the program, uh, I had uh, two guests on, Dr. Patricia Donnelly and uh, Nicole Weller, who, Cindy, you may be familiar with Nicole. And yeah, she teaches, awesome. yeah, she, yeah, she's great. She teaches, obviously, um, uh, the Littlest Golfer. And they just put together a program that was actually launched at this year's PGA show uh, in Orlando uh, called the Little Golf Train. And it's really focusing at the, um, from the two-year-olds up, up to I think uh, five, and then six to t- six to twelve, I believe is is the second phase of it. But um, the idea is really to uh, again, Alan, what you just touched about is to make it fun and not. Um, and I'm and again, I said this earlier in the program. I'm not trying to knock uh, many of the great junior programs out there, but a lot of them traditionally have been outcome based. In other words, they're filters for um, collegiate golf and and eventually on the tour for those that qualify. And those are fantastic pro- programs. They're definitely needed um, to, to be there. But I think the, the, the game itself has to be um, even simpler for some out there just to go out and have fun. And, and whether you ever get out on the tour, as, as you two have, 
uh, or, uh, you know, collegiate golf or on the next big break or whatever it is, if that's what you want to aspire to, that's fantastic. But a lot of people don't have those aspirations. They just want to go out and have fun. So we need to, to Absolutely. break it down, I think, in, in its simplest form. And so my question to both of you is this. Um, there's a lot of great programs starting to come out. And I think the PGA, and, and I've got to give kudos to the LPGA. I mean, they've done a phenomenal uh, job with the uh, girls golf and, and some of the other programs and really have, in my opinion, have taken the lead. So here's my question. Um, we we want to get family to really work together and, and get kids with their parents and, and, and find activities through golf that we can get them out there and having fun together. Um, is right. this something that you're trying to do with the Academy as well as to get the, not just the juniors, but to get the adults out there just to have fun so that they can take that into sort of family activity as sort of an, another way of, of bonding, if you will. Yeah, we have we have one one kid that comes almost to every junior lesson we give, and his father brings him, and the only reason his father brings him is he wants him to have somebody he can play golf with later. So he right. wants him to have fun doing it. And we have a friend our son has a friend that I've been giving lessons to. His dad's got a lot of potential, but he's a little harder, way harder himself. He has right. the cutest little two-year-old you've ever seen, and we see this a lot. And he comes in to hit balls, and his, dad, his dad's really good with it. He's not trying to push him or anything else. He has a little club, and he hits balls. And I said to, the, I said to his dad one time, I said this to a lot of parents, you know what, they ask him, when, when can we teach him? When's the time good time? Well, you don't teach a two-year-old. You can't. They don't have any muscle control. You just... And right. The kid wants to be. With, the kid wa- really wants to be with you. He wants yep. to be with his dad, or he wants to. She wants to be with her mom. She wants to be with their mom and dad when they go have fun. If mom and dad are going to the range and getting all PO'd about how they're doing. The kid's going right. to learn the golf not fun. Why should I go? So they, they, for young kids like that, it's really, really important for them. To, like bonding, it's really important for them to have this quality time with their mom and dad. That in turn will grow the game as long as the moms and dads are aware. That I just want the child to come with me. I'm not here to try to turn him into a tour player at two, three, four, five years old. But I'm going to have some. I'm going to show him that I can have fun playing the game. Then the kids learn it can be fun. Then it becomes a fun atmosphere. And I think that's really, really missing to a large degree because we're all so keyed on. I saw Tiger Woods on the TV yeah. show when he was two years old. Look where he is. So let's <laughs> let's have the kids have some fun doing it, and the moms and dads have fun. And then it becomes a family affair, and I think that will parlay to grow on the game a lot. Yeah, exactly said. Um, we're, we're getting close to the end of the time, and, and I know you two uh, probably need to go, but uh, let, let me give you an opportunity just for some final thoughts. Uh, I'm going to let the ladies go first. So, Cindy, you go first with some final thoughts, a message that you want to uh, get out to the audience. Um, talk about the Academy if you want. Let them know how they can uh, get information on that and maybe just some closing thoughts, and then, Alan, I'll let you uh, wrap it up. Well, I guess I would say that golf is a great game, that it teaches you a lot about yourself and about life, and that I believe that you should enjoy the opportunity you have to learn to play. Uh, Yes, it's frustrating, but it's well worth the effort. And if you are interested in anything with the Own Your Game Academy or any of our boot camps or anything, you are free to email me at cindy at cindymillergolf.com. Cindy at CindyMillerGolf.com, and I thank you, Ted, for letting us be on the show. Um, well, as always, it's an honor and a pleasure for me. Uh, I, I certainly enjoy you know, the opportunity to interview some great guests, and I can't think of two better uh, guests than, than you and, and your husband, Alan. And, Alan, uh, I'll let you have a, a closing thought, and then I'll wrap it up. 
Well, my final thought is nothing more than the game of golf is just that. It's a game. It's like life. Life is one big game. It's not how the end result comes out. It's how we play the game as we're going along. And, you know, as I get older, I look back and said, all I have to give people is my wisdom and knowledge. As an older person, but as for the younger kids, learn to have fun trying to pursue something, pursue a dream, pursue a lifelong goal, whatever it might be. But it's not going to be life or death whether you succeed or not. What's going to be a lifelong dream should be to be successful in your attempts, okay? And if you give it every effort you can, personal responsibility, try your best, then you'll lead a good life and you'll be rewarded at the end. So I have a little one last saying that I use a lot is you are not what you shoot. So if you're right. giving it a good shot, it's right. not the end result that's important. It's the fact that you gave it every effort you could give within the time strains you have to do it and the effort that you want to get to it. Very well said. And uh, just my my final thought, you know, Alan and, and Cindy, um, the one really great thing that I love about golf, other than, you know, I enjoy it and it's fun and, and I, I love teaching uh, as, as do you, is it's really a, a game unlike any other that you can play well into your, your golden years as, as I'm approaching very fast now myself. And, you know, it's something that at really you can, as a youngster, you can play. And as somebody, as you get up into your seventies and beyond many people still playing this great game, uh, unlike a lot of other uh, games out there, sometimes I'm almost, there. I'm almost there. No, no, you got, no, don't kid yourself. You got long way to go yet, but, I'm but you know what I'm 70, so I'm almost there. <laughs> Well, you got many, many years left, and and I want to thank the right. two of you for, I want to thank the two of you for not only uh, for coming on and, and spending some time with me tonight, uh, I thir- I certainly uh, enjoyed it, but for for doing all of the great things that you have done and and given to this game, and I know that you both have a lot of enjoyment yourselves of of playing the game, but giving back to the game, and that's really what it's all about. So I want to thank you and, and say God bless to both of you, and much continued success uh, with the Own Your Game Academy, and just with life in general. And Cindy, um, I look forward to joining you again uh, next Tuesday morning with uh, the women of golf. Thank you. Thank you Ted. Thanks for your time. Have a great weekend. Right. Happy Easter. Happy Easter, everybody. Right. Yes. Happy Easter as well. Thank you. And, and uh, good night guys. Thank night. you. All right. Bye-bye. All right. That was my very special guests, uh, Alan and Cindy Miller. Uh, always enjoy uh, listening to, um, really what I consider to be two great individuals um, that have been part of this game for a number of years. Uh, Alan, of course, uh, I've gotten to uh, speak with now on a couple of occasions, uh, once uh, tonight, of course, and then on the Women of Golf show, he came on as uh, one of our earlier guests uh, for Cindy and I. And uh, I, I do mean this when I say this, but I, I enjoy having Cindy uh, work with me on the women's program every Tuesday mornings um, and it's just a, a joy and a, and a real pleasure uh, to have her as part of uh, my team. And she just brings so much to the sport and just has such great enthusiasm. And uh, I know that she gives it her best, not only for her own uh, golf game, but when she's working with uh, with her students, um, young and old, that um, she just gives it her all. And, and I think that's really what it's all about. And that's why she continues to be as successful as she is. So, um, again, thank you very much to the Millers for spending an evening with me. Uh, and, uh, again, a special thank you to Nicole Weller and Dr. Patricia Donnelly uh, for joining me on a special Coach's Corner panel this morning. Uh, remember to tune in every week, every Thursday, from 6 to 8 p.m. Central, 
uh, here on the blogtalkradio.com network. And I want to take this opportunity to thank all of you out there for listening uh, from all over the globe, uh, for faithfully tuning into Golf Talk Live each and every week. I really do, as I, I say all the time, uh, really do get a great amount of pleasure and enjoyment of having a number of highly talented coaches, teaching professionals, authors, and entrepreneurs stop by the show. And it's really through their participation and guest appearances that have helped to make Golf Talk Live a first-class show. And uh, we're trying to do the same thing with the women of golf, Cindy and I, every Tuesday morning. So uh, remember, Tuesday mornings from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on blogtalkradio.com, the women of golf show with uh, none other than myself and LPGA professional Cindy Miller. And then here Thursday nights from 6 to 8 Central um, Standard Time, uh, I go it alone, of course, on Golf Talk Live. Next week, I'm going to have another great Coach's Corner panel followed by another guest. And just a quick uh, note, on April the 7th, which is the Thursday eve of uh, the first major of 2016, the Masters, I'm going to be joined by, after the Coach's Corner panel, joined by Mr. Byron Casper, a great uh, teach professional. Uh, and of course, son of legendary uh, Billy Casper, of uh, late uh, Billy Casper. He's going to be joining me on Thursday evening of uh, the Masters, and we're going to be talking a little bit about what's uh, going on during that master, early part of the uh, Thursday of the Masters tournament. Uh, and also, he's going to bring uh, some great tips and training uh, that his father uh, did uh, during his Masters experience. Uh, and we're going to have a contest, and I'll announce that in a little more detail next Thursday because we're two weeks away from the Masters. But next Thursday, I'm going to give you more information. We're going to have a great contest, so we want you all to uh, participate in that. You can phone in, you can email, and I'll give you the details next week and what you have to do to participate. But we're going to have a great, uh, great contest and a great prize uh, that we will uh, be giving out uh, that Thursday evening. So that will be April 7th. Uh, Byron Casper and myself on the second half of Golf Talk Live. Thank you, everybody. Um, again, I always enjoy doing this program. Special thank you to some of my uh, sponsors and supporters of the program, Mr. Jonathan Laird from South Coast Golf Guide. Go to southcoastgolfguide.com to learn more about a great uh, publication here in the southeastern part of the United States. Meredith Kirk, uh, thank you as always. Go to meredithkirk.com. Uh, Nikki and Tiffany Litherland, thank you for all of your help spreading the word. Mr. Bernie Pinder from Ontic Golf, go to onticgolf.com. And uh, Mr. Sean Kelly, uh, owner of linkedgolfers.com. And Mr. Peter Doyle, Doyle Golf Solutions over in Ireland. Thank you uh, all very much for all of your continued support. I will see you next Thursday at 6 p.m. Central right here on Golf Talk Live. God bless everybody and have a great weekend and happy Easter. <laughs>